blessing us again today. Uh, we have um, commenced a uh, short series on uh, who am I? Who am I? And uh, we started that last week by asking that very question, who am I? And this week we're going to follow that up with um, what am I here for? <clears throat> and as I was uh, doing a bit of um, thinking earlier in the week, on this particular question, what am I here for? I came across, uh, came across um, this article by a person by Neil Burton, so you can throw that up, um, uh, Sammy. And uh, what I've got up there is the, the first line or the opening lines of his uh, article here about the question of the meaning of life. And he says this, the question of the meaning of life is perhaps one that we would rather not ask for fear of the answer or lack thereof. That's what he, how we open up his article. Um, maybe we don't want to ask it because we might be scared about what the answer might be or what lack of information it could be. And then uh, the next couple of phrases is how he finished his article after about sort of five or six minutes of reading or seven minutes of reading. He says this, human life may not have been created with any predetermined purpose, but this not mean that it cannot have purpose, have a purpose, nor that this purpose cannot be just as good as, if not much better than any predetermined one. And he concludes with this line, and so the meaning of life, of our life, is that which we choose to give it. Obviously that guy's not a Christian, not a believer, but that's what he came up with at, at the end of his discussion there. And so the meaning of life, of our life, is that which we choose to give it. Now I look at that and I say, well that's no real help at all to answer the question, what is the meaning of life? And if you look at, um, after his article, there's a whole heap of sort of replies and comments and they're saying, well, you didn't really help us. You just didn't give us anything really I could grab hold of. And really he didn't when he says that. With that sort of understanding, life is all about what you want to make it to be. Life is all about you. You are the meaning of life in that sense. That's what uh, Neil Burton, a philosopher from Oxford, England, had to say. <clears throat> but come with me now as we explore that today, and particularly as we look at Isaiah chapter 43, verses 1 to 7. And that will begin to uh, open this up and see what the meaning of life is and what the purpose of our existence is. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 1. But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I've called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. And when you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Saviour. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you, because you are precious in my eyes and honoured and I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west. I will gather you or say to the north, give up. And to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Take note of the next verse. And everyone who's called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Our Father, we give you thanks and praise now that we can come today and uh, open up your living eternal word. And we do ask and pray now that Holy Spirit, you would come and breathe life into this word. And no matter what's been happening in our life this week, I pray that you help us to be able to think and focus upon this question, what have we been created for? What is my purpose in life? What is life all about for me? 
And uh, Lord, as we see that verse there in verse 7, it tells us that we've been created for God's glory. Help us as we think about that now, and we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. As we look at this question of who am I, the series, and all of its implications, we think about these current questions that are sort of rolling around on our heads and hearts from time to time. We really are laying the foundations or building blocks of humanity as God has created us. We discovered last week, and we asked this question, who am I? That we are creations of the sovereign, all-powerful, holy and loving God. God designed us and he's breathed the breath of life into us and he continues to do that to this very day of each and every moment. That our existence comes from the God who does that. We saw that we are created in God's image and likeness. We are his special creation, the pinnacle of his creation because he personally was involved, as it were, in the creation of mankind. Let us make man in our image and in our likeness and we were created as eternal spiritual beings and relational beings so that we were created to have a relationship with God eternally in the beginning with him. So what follows very close behind who am I is what am I here for? Really that question sort of goes hand in hand. What's my purpose in life? And this question has burned in the hearts and minds of people for centuries For millennia perhaps, thousands of years, people, millions of people have stared out into the vast night skies filled with dazzling stars and glowing all over the place and we were in central Australia roughly this time last year and they are really clear skies out there and you can see thousands and thousands, perhaps millions of stars up there. People looked out and looked into that and said, whoa, what is this all about? Others may have trekked up to a mountain peak or hiked up to a very high point and then cast out their eyes over this unending valley below and they ask themselves the same question. What is this all about? Some of those scenes that we've seen around the world stir within us very deeply and very often those types of scenes make us feel really small not really big at all as we look at the, in comparison to the world around about us. I mean, what am I in, compar- in comparison to this vast night sky? Or what am I in comparison to this massive mountain range that I've just climbed or driven to the top of? And I probably would drive to the top instead of maybe climbing to the top most times. It's a bit easier. I seem so small in comparison to that. Uh, here's a guy, uh, Jim Irwin, who was a NASA astronaut and he was part of the Apollo 15 mission in 1971. He was the first astronaut to drive the moon buggy on obviously the moon. Uh, Simon Smart is a Christian writer who went to hear Jim Irwin uh, when he came back from the Apollo 15 mission and he heard him in country New South Wales talking about this mission and Jim Irwin uh, said this as reported by Simon Smart. That's a good name, isn't it? Simon Smart. Smart Simon. Standing on the moon and looking back at Earth, Irwin was able to close one eye, hold up his thumb and cover the entire planet. Every mountain, every city, every person, every valley, every ocean, all under his thumb. So you've got to picture him. He's closed one eye and he's held it up there and he's blocked out the entire Earth with the size of his thumb. With the size of his thumb. Irwin said it made him feel terrifyingly small terrifyingly small Irwin also went on to say as part of this speech that Simon Smart had heard 
the profound effects that Space Frontier Adventure had on many of the astronauts who had made this trip to the moon as the ultimate adventure, he said this, he went on to claim that many of the astronauts involved in those early days of spacewalks and moon visits embraced spirituality or religion. Some had existential crises and struggled to understand the meaning of their lives. Went to the moon, looked back, and they had this crisis of existence, crisis of being, a bit like, who am I? What is this all about? What is this meaning of life? What is my purpose? I look so terrifyingly small in comparison to all these things around about me. So we're going to look at that today. What is my purpose? What is this all about? And we're going to look at it in finer details as well, to a small extent. Like where should I live or where should I work or what sort of career should I pursue? Should I get married? Should I not get married? Some of those questions, we would just explore some of those uh, today as we think about this uh, in this big picture of what is my purpose in life. So let's firstly, let's draw out and let's take the big picture format here of the idea of what is our purpose? What is life all about? This overarching truth that covers our lives, that directs my purpose. What is this big truth that actually overarches everything? Last week we saw that we create as image bearers of God. We are made in God's likeness to reflect back into the world the image of God. But Isaiah 43, small verse at the end, gives us a very clear and powerful truth why we have been created. Let's see it again in verse 7. Everyone who's called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Just a tiny little verse at the end, but it is filled with enormous truth. It answers that question for us. Put very simply, we are created for God's glory. The existence of every single human being on the planet is to glorify God. That's God's words there. We are created for his glory. This passage here that that we've just read talks about God saving and redeeming Israel from their wayward, rebellious living. And then God ends this passage with very powerful words. Whom I created for my glory. This naturally, though, asks the next question, doesn't it? Well, what is God's glory? If I've been created for God's glory, surely we should work out what God's glory is about, because that would then help us to answer the question of what my purpose and what my existence is. Some questions are really easy to answer and some questions are very hard to answer. God's glory is a difficult thing. It's a hard thing. It's probably nearly impossible for our finite minds to describe something that is infinite. But we're not going to leave ourselves hanging in suspense. We are going to give it a bit of a shot. If there are some words that are closely linked with God through the Bible... Some of those words, or one of those words, would have to be the word holy. If you read through the Bible, you'll see that attached to God time and time again. Right throughout the Bible, you see the holiness of God. And there's there's a verse in Isaiah 6 that actually helps to see the connection here with God's holiness and also his glory. Have a look in Isaiah 6, 3, and it says this, And one called to another and said, this is two angels calling each other in the throne room of God, 
Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. This is Isaiah's vision in the throne room of, uh, of God. A vision of holiness and glory. And the angels cry out, holy, holy, holy. And you would expect them next to say, the whole earth is filled with his holiness, wouldn't you? Because they just said, holy, holy, holy. But they don't. They say the whole earth is filled with his glory. And I think there's a vital connection here between holiness and God's glory. good friend of mine, John Piper, whom I know via the internet, not personally, he helped me with this passage. And he had this to say about this passage and this idea of God's glory here. You can put that up, Sammy. Intrinsically holy... And the whole earth is full of his glory, from which I stab at a a definition by saying that the glory of God, defining the glory of God, the glory of God is the manifest beauty of his holiness. It is the going public of his holiness. It is the way he puts holiness on display for people to apprehend. So, the glory of God is the holiness of God made manifest or God made known through his holiness. That's what John Piper had to say as he thinks about this passage and I think he's pretty right there. The holiness is God's beauty, uh, God's glory is his holiness or the beauty of his holiness on display for us to see as it were to apprehend, to sort of um, be drawn to. So if we pull this back, the verse we just looked at in Isaiah 43, we could say something like this. It says there before, whom we are created for our glory. We are created to reflect or display the beauty of God's holiness in his splendor, magnificence, honor, richness, greatness, and praise. Our purpose in this overarching big picture format is, is to live to show the beauty of God's holy character out through our lives. The beauty of God's holiness coming out through us in the way we live. Now, it's not the only definition for glory. Some of you might be thinking, oh, I thought glory meant some other things. It does mean weightiness and weighty presence, but in thinking about Isaiah 43.7, this is the context it's in, and this is the definition that we'll roll with. The beauty of God's holiness defined for us. Everything we say, everything we think, everything we do with our life is to demonstrate the beauty of God's honour, purity, goodness and love. Everything. That's our purpose. That's our overarching theme or driving motivation for life. And that was exactly how Adam and Eve lived in the Garden of Eden before they fell as a natural overflow of their spiritual relationship with God, it was, that they, was that they radiated out of their lives His glory to each other. So it would be like this, as they saw each other in life, it was back then in the garden, they were continually reminded of who God is because they were shown the beauty of God's holiness naturally out of the overflow of their connection with God in that uh, time of perfection. And this is precisely how God has created us, to do that, to live in that way. Every aspect of who we are and every detail of our life is a mirror to each other 
to reflect the glorious nature of God out through our lives. When we speak, our mouths shall be filled with love and truthfulness and sincerity towards each other, reflecting the beauty of God's holiness. When we think, our minds should be God-centered so that others are built up, encouraged and inspired as we allow God's, the beauty of God's holiness to um, permeate our minds. And when we carry out our actions, they should be God-centered for his glory with compassion, sacrifice and generosity towards each other. Every aspect of our lives is to glorify the beauty of God's holiness and let that come out of our lives. This is the overarching purpose of what we're designed for, what we're created for. This is our banner that we march under, created in God's glory. Let's pull this back a little bit then and think about this overarching big picture story of God's glory. Let's zoom it into finer detail, how that might look. Uh, in everyday choices, how that might look and how I conduct myself. And you might say here, well, how far does this living for God's glory go? And what is God's desire for my life in every decision that I make? Does God's glory sort of work its way down all the way into every nitty-gritty detail of my life, right down to the very basic things? It's all linked together, and it certainly does. Let's have a look here and start in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Paul says this to the Corinthians. He says, So... Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Paul's saying exactly the same thing that Isaiah is saying. Whatever you do, eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Paul's answering us here and giving us a great picture by saying, even in the most mundane things of life, Maybe not mundane to some people, but eating and drinking, we do this for the glory of God. We think that's just, we do it, don't we? Yeah, but we do it for the glory of God. It actually works its way down into every aspect of who we are. When we go to McDonald's, Jenny's smiling and Roger's smiling. You want me to pick a healthier place, do you? We go to McDonald's. And we can eat and we can drink there for the glory of God. I could think of some more healthier options to go to, but we can still go. How do I do that? How do I I eat a Big Mac for the glory of God? I'm thankful for his provision. I'm thankful that he gives me something to eat. I'm thankful for all those natural ingredients that are put together in the hamburger. And I can eat it. Yes, I probably could go to Subway and glorify him more perhaps, but I can glorify God through going to McDonald's. It can happen. I can glorify God by eating a banana. We can. I can give thanks for his generous provision through a banana by stopping and looking at... I should have had a banana today, shouldn't I? By stopping and looking at this banana and marvelling at God's creation. God, you are amazing to think that you create this tree that grows this flower. This flower grows into a piece of fruit. I can peel back the outer layer and I can eat what's inside of it. That is absolutely amazing. We cannot reproduce that in this world. 
and it simply comes up out of the ground and it grows. We pick it off, we peel it off and we eat it. And it's delicious. Unless you're a kid who doesn't like fruit. (laughs) It's amazing. That's how we glorify God in the simple thing like eating a banana. By recognising his generous provision for us and giving that to us. All of life is designed by God to be an act of worship for his glory in every aspect, every aspect. But there are some things we can't glorify God in. We can't glorify God in the drug ice. You can't use the drug ice for God's glory. What's happening here is we are taking God-made substances... But with evil intent, we mix these substances together to produce a really, really bad result. A mind-altering drug that uh, helps us, unfortunately, to do some crazy things, some really crazy things. And those actions resulting from ice do not glorify God. What about my decision about where I work or my career path or decisions like that in life? How does that glorify God? Can I really glorify God through that as well? Let's have a look here at a passage that Paul talks, takes us through in 1 Corinthians 7. And he talks about that here. Let's read it together. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it, but if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of that opportunity. For he who was called, called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man... Of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. Now you might be sort of saying, what's that got to do here with where we're going? Well, the Corinthians at this time, they were worried at this stage about their callings in life. There may be their jobs. Maybe their marriage, maybe their religious background. There's a whole lot, lot of things they were worried about, about where they were at at life in this particular time. They were maybe saying to themselves, maybe where I'm working isn't where God wants me to be because I can't glorify him here. Now that may be the case, and we'll get to that in a moment, but that's sort of perhaps the questions that were rolling around the Corinthians' mind at this time. But here's what Paul is saying in this passage. If we go back to verse 17, you see this point here, he says, only let each person lead the life that, lo- that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him to. So where you are, where you are and at at life, that's what Paul's saying it right now. Wherever you find your position to be, particularly in the work life, that's cool, Paul's saying. Where you are, where God's led you, that's okay. Stay there and glorify God, is what Paul's saying. And I get that if we go back down to verse 24, because in verse 24 he says this, it's like summarising. So, brothers, in whatever condition, 
work, career, that God has called you, there let him remain with God. And we pick up that piece there where it says, remain with God. What does that mean? God the Holy Spirit is with you in that career. God the Holy Spirit is with you in that job. God the Holy Spirit is with you in that place so that you can act uh, out the glory of God in a worshipful way. So wherever you are, there remain with God in that choice. Glorify God through your work. Glorify God through your career. Make that choice to do that. And I'm convinced, absolutely convinced, that glorifying God at our workplace is one of the most strategic and vital places where we can show others Christ in this world. Because often, or not often, it is in a workplace, you're working shoulder to shoulder with unbelievers. You don't just get five minutes with them, you get perhaps eight hours with them. You get a long time for them to see you, how you conduct yourself through life and how you work. How you show respect for the management, how you show respect for your fellow employees. They see your ethic of working hard and efficiently for God's glory to display the beauty of his holiness out through your working life. I think that should create many gospel opportunities. Alec was just sharing with me the other day, he, was, he did some work experience a couple of weeks ago and he's in a situation where they're in the lunchroom and a guy just popped his head in for a couple of minutes and the other guys that Alec was sitting with uh, didn't really like the guy who popped his head in and when he popped out and left, all these guys sort of badmouthed the guy who was just in there. And that would be a great opportunity in that sense to show respect for that person that those other guys didn't like because they might see something different in you in that situation. I reckon lots of those opportunities happen from time to time where people get a chance to see us glorifying God through our workplace. It's a fantastic place to uh, display the glory of God. Now, not all places you work will glorify God. Maybe some of those Corinthians were right. They weren't sure if the calling they had or the job they had or the career they had was a place where they could glorify God. Sure, if you work in an adult sex shop, there's no glory for God in that. Sure, if you work at Crown Casino in the gambling section, of course, there's no glory for God in that. So if you're in that situation, resign and get another job immediately. Our purpose of living to glorify God transforms every part of our lives. It actually moves into every detail of who we are. Does my speech, does my speech display the beauty of God's holiness? Do my actions glorify God? Do my relationships glorify God? Does my marriage glorify God? Does my work glorify God? Does my farm or my business, does it display the beauty of God's holiness out through my life? Can people see when they look at me that God is the treasure and the centre of my life by the way I live? Are they able to see that? Could I come and could I ask your husband or your wife, do they glorify God in your marriage? 
what answer would I get if I came to your family and asked around, brothers, sisters, mother, father, does this person's life display the beauty of God's holiness in this family? Could I come to your workmates or could I come to your neighbours who live just over the fence and could I ask them, does this person glorify God through their life to you? Could I look at your credit card and bank statement and see if God is glorified in your spending? God's glory works its way down to every aspect and detail of our lives. Because we are created for his glory. Not 90% for his glory, not 80% for his glory, not 90, 100% for God's glory. That is our purpose and reason for living. How do we get there? How do we get there? A quick glance around this world and we soon uh, see things uh, done for the glory of God are not the norm, are they? It's not the norm. We don't walk around the Maud Street Mall or Riverside Plaza down there or Marketplace out the other side and we don't see these clear, vivid displays of God's glory happening uh, in those places. I'm not saying they're outrightly evil but we don't see these clear, vivid displays of God's glory. We'll walk past some shop windows and uh, we'll go past and we'll see a picture of a semi-naked model on a poster or something in there doing something and sometimes we'll stop and take a longer look and that's not for God's glory whatsoever. You see, we are in a world that has turned our back upon God and his glory. Our spiritual connection with God is severed or cut off. It started with Adam and Eve and it carries right through to us now. And when that happened... Not only did we lose our identity, we also lost our purpose and our reason for living. It wasn't just a little trip that Adam and Eve had when we talk about the fall. It was a monumental fall that invaded every part of who we are. God was no longer the centre of our world. So we started to look for our own reason and purpose for living. And you know what? That reason and that purpose for living became me became you we are the reason for living we see in this broken fallen mind life became all about me i read this statistic the other day out of the usa that that has said that narcissism has risen by 30 percent over the last decade amongst teenagers you might be saying what is narcissism it is self-love i love myself i think i'm the best thing since sliced bread i think i'm the hottest thing going around is what narcissism is you just love yourself And it's risen 30% in the last decade in the USA. And the writer said that the increase of this self-love was due to social, social media and reality TV constantly telling a message to every individual. You're a winner. You're the best. You're the coolest. And you can do whatever you want to be. And the result of this constant messaging bombarding into our lives is we're breeding a generation that says life is all about me. I'm the centre of, of this universe. Now, this is, isn't unusual for us. The Bible actually picked this up at the beginning of time, but also Paul picked it up 2,000 years ago in Romans chapter 1. He said this about that. 
Therefore, in Romans chapter 1, therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonouring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and they worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Can you see what's happened in that passage there? We've exchanged the truth about who God is as our Creator and the one we should glorify. We've exchanged the truth about that for a lie. And what is the lie? The lie is we think we are the centre of the universe. It says it there for us. We worship and serve the creature instead of the Creator. So let me say that another way. When we don't glorify God with our lives, we glorify ourselves. It's that simple. We either glorify God or we glorify ourselves. And when God isn't centre and supreme in our lives, we are centre and supreme. That's what happens with the brokenness of our minds. And there's two things that are happening here when that takes place. The first thing is this. It's evil to dethrone God and put ourselves there as the king of my life, as the ruler of my life. Who in the heck do we think we are to say that? But that's what we are saying when we're not glorifying God as supreme. Who do we think we are when we say something like that? Secondly, it's a recipe when we dethrone God and put ourselves in the throne and say, life is all about me. It's a recipe for broken, shattered living. It can only go one way, and that's pear-shaped. Why do you think we have this deep, nagging question inside of us, bubbling around, what's life all about? Because we're broken in that sense. You see, when we reverse God's position in our lives, we invite all manner of brokenness and confusion into us, and we pursue things in life that leave us washed out and wasted. Earlier this year, we saw people by the dozens dying on Mount Everest. I'm not saying climbing Mount Everest is wrong, but I'm sure a lot of those people, their pursuit was, climbing is my life. I've got to get to the top of Mount Everest. And dozens actually died this year in trying to make that ascent. And for numbers of them that I read later on who made that ascent, sometimes a matter of days, they've ticked their bucket list or they've made it to the peak of Mount Everest, the highest point in the world, they've actually come back down and they feel empty and unfulfilled because they've exchanged the truth about God for a lie. They've worshipped and served the creature instead of the creator. It's left them washed out and wasted, unfulfilled, broken. Let me sum it up here. When we're pursuing our glory instead of God's glory, we are broken through and through. We become irrational and we carry out crazy broken things for our own selfish gain at all sorts of levels. Ultimately, ultimately we are lost in a world of confusion. We're looking for this like crystal clear, pure living water to sustain me and actually give me purpose in life. But what happens as we're pursuing this unreality of this um, crystal clear, pure living water, we actually find this local dam on the way down there full of leeches, full of mud, and we drink at that and we think we've found life because we're settling for what, not, for what God hasn't created us for. We're trying to fill ourselves up on everything this world has and not the creator who's created this world. We're lost through and through and we are blind to the whole thing. And there's only one hope that can rescue us and save us out of this 
mess that we find ourselves in. It's Jesus Christ. And today, if you're not a believer here of Jesus, we are so glad you've come. We are so glad you're here today if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ. We welcome all people here at EC and we want people to discover the joy and the fountain of living truth in Christ himself. So we are glad you're here today. You might think, who is this Jesus? Jesus is the only one who can rescue us, who can save us from this mess. Jesus met a man one day, his name was Zacchaeus. He was a little guy and probably felt despised by his smallness. But Zacchaeus didn't settle for that. He said, I know what I'll do. I'll go and pursue money and getting rich and I'll find the meaning of life by being the richest guy in town. I don't care if I burn lots of friendships along the way. As long as I'm the richest guy and I get money, I'll be happy. I've found my meaning of life. One day Zacchaeus heard that Jesus was coming because he was a little guy. He climbed up a tree. Jesus came by and looked up into the tree and said, Zacchaeus, come down because I'm coming to your house today. Zacchaeus hurried down from that tree and stood before Jesus and said, Lord, I'm giving away half of my goods. And if I've ripped anybody off, I'll pay them back four times over. Now, we don't know what else might have been said between Jesus and Zacchaeus on that particular day, but we do know this. Something significantly changed in the life of Zacchaeus at that moment. He discovered who was the life and the true well of living water. He discovered who Jesus Christ was. And Zacchaeus was a changed man. He was no longer pursuing money and riches for the meaning of life. He now had discovered who Jesus was. And Jesus said to Zacchaeus in in Luke 19 this, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. You see, this is what happens when we meet Jesus. He transforms us into new people with new hearts. The gospel of Jesus Christ turns everything upside down, or in reality, the right way up. Instead of looking at everything broken and upside down, Jesus actually turns it all the right way up and he brings the lost home. We no longer worship ourselves. We no longer worship the things of this world that are, and we are set free from that broken living and only Christ can do that. And we are able to glorify God now with new eyes and new ears and a new mind. Here's as Zacchaeus responded to this when he discovered who this Jesus was. He says in verse 6, So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully, received Jesus joyfully. And that is precisely what we discover when we discover, when we glorify God with our lives. It is the most satisfying, most fulfilling and joyful way to live, walking in relationship with Jesus Christ. You see people and you see relationships in a whole new way. People are precious and they're made in the image of God. And when we live life glorifying him, everything becomes brand new. Everything becomes brand new. And everything has profound meaning as we discover what living for the glory of God is. When we discover that, we truly have found our purpose for living. Let me pray. 
Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you now that we can come and uh, think about this and discover this truth in your word today, that Lord, uh, we have been created for your glory. God, today there is so much brokenness, there's so much confusion, there's so much in this world that we are chasing after, but Lord, it will never satisfy. It will leave us empty, it will leave us washed up. And Lord, we'd never really want to look a bit deeper and understand why we are chasing for these other things. And the reason for that, Lord, is because we are broken. We have rejected your ways and rejected you as our creator. God, today we thank you that you've sent Jesus to come and to rescue and to save us and to do this by taking our rejection of you and dying on the cross for the price of that sinfulness. That, Lord, today we receive forgiveness as we put our trust and our faith in him. And, Lord, also we receive a transformed life with a brand new heart where we do truly see everything brand new. So I pray, Holy Spirit, take that truth today, that overarching truth that we are created for God's glory. We are created to glorify him. And I ask and I pray that you would let that uh, drive deeply into our hearts and then work its way into every detail of who we are. No matter what we're doing or what we're involved in, we pray, God, that you would help us to display the beauty of your holiness out through our lives. Give us the strength and the courage and the conviction to do that. And we pray that out of that, Lord, that you would grant us uh, many opportunities uh, to witness to the transforming uh, message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, today we do ask and we do pray that in his name. Amen. We're going to come around the Lord's table now. And um, again, I just uh, would like to 